Brothers and sisters, our text for this morning is Exodus 14, verse 13 to 14, which is a very short but very applicable exhortation given by Moses to the people of Israel when they feared for their very lives in the face of Pharaoh's advancing army. But as we'll discover, the words of Moses are more than just an exhortation. They are also words of prophecy, a prophecy which finds fulfillment in the words at the end of our chapter, in the verses 30 and 31. So we'll read the text once again. Exodus 14, verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, most of us have some idea, some awareness of the destructive potential of water. Now, even though we live in the prairies, in the middle of a continent, perhaps as far from any ocean as possible in the world, through the national news, we can learn about tropical storms and flash floods that leave devastation and destruction in their wake. Hurricanes, Cyclones, typhoons, and tidal waves, especially at this time of year, between May and August, the the hurricane season, the Atlantic hurricane season, it often comes up in the news. And so we have some awareness of the destructive power of water, but it's one thing to hear about and completely different, a completely different thing to experience. Now, this past Thursday, the first major hurricane of the 2020 season hit the coast of Texas and Louisiana. Now, the ocean swell was only about three feet. It was less than expected. But the flooding, together with the winds, still caused incredible damage. Massive trees were uprooted. Windows were blown out of buildings. And the roofs were ripped right off of houses. But imagine that you were there right there when it happened. Imagine that you saw it with your own eyes, that you felt the ground move and you saw the trees fall and the water surging in over the land. Now, if you stood at a safe distance, if you were safely evacuated, you would certainly be filled with awe, with fear, but fear mixed with relief. Now, this experience would leave a lasting impression. It might become the sort of story that you would tell your grandchildren. But if you stood in the midst of the storm, if you looked up to see the same sight, that fear that you would feel would be something very different. Now in the moments after our text, this is the difference between the experience of the Israelites and the Egyptians of the same event. The Israelites, by the grace of God, stood at a safe distance, while the Egyptians were swept away and completely destroyed. But in the moments before our text, it's the Israelites who are afraid. They are terrified of being swept away by the army of the advancing Egyptians. So this morning we will see how between the Red Sea and certain death, 
Moses exhorts the people with prophecy. And this is the prophecy. The Lord will fight for you. Therefore, the Israelites, they must first not fear. But second, they must wait and see. And third, we'll talk about the total victory. Our text this morning begins with a simple exhortation. From Moses to the Israelites, do not fear. A very applicable exhortation because the people are terrified. After only a few days of freedom, they suddenly find themselves trapped with nowhere to go. On one side was the place called Pihahiroth, a range of impassable rocks. And on the other side were Migdol and Baalzephon, forts, garrisons on the frontier of Egypt. Directly in front of them was the Red Sea, an impossible barrier. And behind them, and coming up fast, was the fearsome Egyptian army. Now, from a strategic perspective, the Israelites were in a terrible position. This is clear both in Pharaoh's description in verse 3 of chapter 14, where he says, the wilderness has shut them in. And it's also clear in the reaction of the people when they see the Egyptians. They were trapped. They were caught between the Egyptians and the Red Sea with nowhere to go, no way of escape. But our reading also makes it very clear that although it was a strategically terrible position, the Israelites had been placed there, they had been led there on purpose. They've been led there for a reason. As it says in verse 1 through 4 of chapter 14, the Lord had directed Moses to lead the people in such a way that would entice the Egyptians to give chase. Now, if you look at a map of the ancient Near East, you'll see that the way to Canaan from Egypt is northeast. And that much of that way is blocked off by the Gulf of the Red Sea, a gulf, the Gulf of Suez. Now, the people had started out from Ramses, as we can read about in Numbers 33, verse 5 through 8. They had started out from Ramses, and they had traveled first to Succoth, a city to the east on the way towards Canaan. And then they traveled to Etham, a city still further east on the edge of the wilderness. But then from Etham, they turned back towards Egypt. They turned southwest into the wilderness between Egypt and the sea almost as if they had taken a wrong turn. When this is reported to Pharaoh, his true character is revealed. Once again, his mind is changed, his resolve hardened, and he marshals his troops for revenge. Just as he had after each of the plagues, Pharaoh changes his mind and acts out of an evil desire to glorify himself. And his intention this time is violence. The language that follows is the language of warfare. Horses, chariots and armies, strategies, troop movements, lookouts and garrisons. Everything points to a final battle, a final confrontation between God and the Egyptians. And all this is according to the sovereign plan of God which was already revealed to Moses and to the Israelites. Therefore, the Israelites obey the Lord when, they turn, when he tells them to turn back. 
and they camp near the edge of the sea, knowing that the Egyptians would soon follow after. And as they wait, the moment comes when they lift up their eyes and they see in the distance the advancing Egyptian army. And as it says in verse 10, when they see the Egyptians, they greatly feared. They were terrified. From an earthly perspective, this fear is only natural. The Israelites had quickly sized up their situation. They knew they were in a perilous position. Escape was impossible. Fighting was futile. Pharaoh was intent on revenge. He himself was coming and with every chariot in Egypt. Undoubtedly, this fear was truly felt. It's quite remarkable how their feelings changed. In Numbers 33 again, we read that they left the land of Egypt triumphantly, victoriously, even, as it says in Exodus 13, even receiving much plunder from the Egyptians, as if they had already won the battle. And we read the same in verse 8 of our passage. We read that they left defiantly. Literally, it says they left with a high hand. But now... Now the mere sight of the Egyptian army, it sweeps away all their confidence. One look turns defiance into fear. And notice how they fell into fear, even though they knew the plan of God. Even though this confrontation had already been revealed to Moses, and was the very reason why they were camped where they were, they still feared. The people had already witnessed the power of God through the ten plagues. And now they saw Pharaoh behaving just as he had in the past, just as the Lord had indicated. And this knowledge does nothing to calm their fears. Despite what they know, they are afraid. And brothers and sisters, isn't this our own experience? Fear can strike when we feel most confident. And despite what we know, what we know to be true, we still feel fear and anxiety in our day-to-day -day lives. In our fallen condition, what we feel does not always correspond with what we know. After the fall into sin, we no longer experience perfect harmony between our feelings, our emotions, our will, and our thoughts. Our emotions are affected by sin as much as our thoughts and our will. They are directed away from God. They are directed towards ourselves. They are self-focused. And they are often felt inaccurately or out of proportion with reality. And fear can drive us to disobedience. Consider the unfaithful response of the people to their strongly felt fear. Their fear turns to despair. And they immediately blame Moses. With bitterness, they accuse him of acting against them. They say, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? And then they look back. They look back to their life of slavery in Egypt. Because they feared for their lives, they were ready to turn back. They were ready to surrender. To reject the messenger of God. To reject the covenant promises of God and to return to a life of slavery in Egypt. 
Brothers and sisters, this is an unfaithful response to fear. God had already demonstrated His care and His concern for the Israelites, first by sending His servant Moses, and then also by bringing them up out of Egypt. But after only one trial, one difficulty, and the people are looking back to their life of slavery in Egypt. In many ways, this is like our Christian life. God demonstrated His love for us, first by sending His Son, and then by redeeming us from a life of slavery into sin. But as the Israelites learned, and as we also experience, the walk of faith, the path of obedience, is difficult. God led the Israelites back towards Egypt and brought them to the edge of the Red Sea to witness the wrath of Pharaoh. And in his perfect wisdom, he might also set us on a difficult path and lead us to a place where we do not want to go, perhaps even, humanly speaking, to a place of despair. Consider the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He was born to die. His path of obedience led to the foot of the cross. Perfect obedience to the Father's will left him hanging on a cross. A place he did not want to go. And yet, he overcame his fear by submitting perfectly to the Father's will. And if we, as his disciples, if we would follow him, then we must deny ourselves and take up our cross, as he teaches in Luke 9 and in Luke 17, where he says, Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life, for my sake, will keep it. This is also how Paul responds in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 8. When he finds himself on a difficult path, what does he say there? He says this, he says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. In the same way, the Israelites are being given over to death so that the glory of God would be revealed through their miraculous deliverance. But because they respond to the work of God with disobedience, with rebellion, the affliction that they experience would also serve for their own instruction. For they will come out of the sea very different. By God's grace, they will be very profoundly changed. They will experience a change of heart. And they will learn to trust God in even the most impossible situations. But first through Moses, God confronts the fear of the people with a gentle exhortation. He simply says, fear not. Do not fear. Stop being afraid. This command is what they are given for the present moment. In the moment of their deepest despair, a gentle rebuke together with a promise, a prophecy. The perfect antidote to their fear, if it is received in faith, they're instructed that the Lord will fight for them. 
Now, brothers and sisters, we know this story. We know how it ends. But I want you to consider how, through it all, the fear of the Israelites is completely transformed. This is made clear in verse 31 of chapter 14. As the sun set over the evening, the people had fallen from the heights of defiance to the depths of despair. They were overwhelmed by fear, but when the sun rose the next morning and the sea resumed its course after it was finished, after they had witnessed the terrible judgment of God, the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people, as it says in verse 31, they feared the Lord. Their fear of man was completely transformed into a reverent fear of God. Once again, they had experienced that the Lord was their God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, righteous in all His ways, a God who comes with fierce and terrible judgment against all who stand against Him, but a God who loves His people enough to send His servant to save them. This, brothers and sisters, is the perfect antidote to our fear. This is the answer to our anxiety because a reverent fear of God completely overshadows the fear of man. But how? How did the Israelites come to this reverent fear of God? In our first point, we have seen how the Israelites were commanded what not to do. Do not fear. Now we will see what they must do. This is our second point. The Israelites must wait and see. As we read in our text, after the people were gently rebuked, they are now commanded to stand firm. Now the word used here, set in this context, in the context of war, could be translated as to station yourself or to present yourself. It means something like to hold your post, to keep ranks. And it often looks forward to some incredible, some miraculous or significant event that is about to happen. Stand firm because something is going to happen. Now often in the New Testament, in, sorry, often in the Old Testament, this word is used of someone while they witness a revelation of God. For example, this word is used in Exodus 19, verse 17. As the Israelites present themselves before God at the foot of Mount Sinai. There, the people stand before thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud that surrounds a fiery mountain, a mountain that trembles as the sound of a trumpet grows louder and louder. And in the same way, at the foot of the Red Sea, the people are instructed not to surrender, not to flee, but to prepare themselves for what is about to happen. This is how God would have them stand, to stand ready to receive further instructions, to stand at attention. And they must pay attention because they are about to see something wonderful. Notice that the word see is given three times in verse 13. There, it says that they will see the salvation of the Lord. And the Egyptians that they will see today, they will never see again. This is how the Lord will reveal his mercy to the people. 
Just as what they saw with their eyes inspired fear in their hearts, in the same way what they will see with their eyes will give them hope. It will strengthen their trust in the Lord for the future. And this was their role in the coming battle, to stand firm and to see. And again, they must do this in faith. It is not easy to stand firm in the face of an advancing army. But this is how they would participate, to wait for the Lord and to watch what he would do. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. As it says at the end of our chapter in verse 30, Thus the Lord saved Israel. The people did not save themselves. Left to themselves, they would have surrendered to the advancing army. Their task was to wait and to watch and to witness the work of God, as it says in verse 31. And Israel saw the great power that the Lord had used against the Egyptians. So whatever would happen, whatever God would do, it was important for the Israelites to see. They had, in a sense, they had front row seats to the terrible judgment of God against the Egyptians. As Paul explains in Romans 9, verse 22 and 23, the Egyptians were vessels of wrath. They were prepared for destruction. God had raised Pharaoh up as the greatest king in the world and had endured the evil of Pharaoh with much patience, withholding his righteous judgment so that it might all come to this moment at the edge of the Red Sea. And he did all this to reveal himself to his people so that his great love, his great power, and his mercy might be made known to them and through them to the world. The Israelites saw the salvation of the Lord. They saw the deliverance that, the, that God had worked for them. They all passed through the water on dry ground. And as the sun rose from the other side of the sea, they saw the water sweep over Pharaoh and his army. They were eyewitnesses of the event, and their testimony, their story, was passed on to their children. By their deliverance to the Red Sea, God demonstrated his power and sealed his love for his people and for their children. By their deliverance to the Red Sea, This is why it was important for the Israelites to see what God had done, so that they could tell, they could teach, they could relate it to their children. As Moses later warns them in Deuteronomy 4, verse 9, just before they enter the land of Canaan, he says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. In a similar way, brothers and sisters, we have received eyewitness testimony of our salvation. The salvation of the Lord which comes to us through Jesus Christ. Through the gospel accounts, we have eyewitness testimony of his birth, his life, his death, and of his resurrection and his ascension. We read one such account this morning in Luke 2. Simeon was a man who was waiting, waiting for the consolation of Israel. It had been revealed to him that he would not see death until he saw the Lord's Christ. 
until he saw the salvation of the Lord. And so he waited. For the rest of his life, he waited to see the promised Messiah, to see with his own eyes the Savior of Israel. Now at that time, every firstborn male among the Jews was presented to God at the temple. And Simeon knew that in order to fulfill the scriptures, the Messiah would also have to be presented before God at the temple. And so he waited for the Lord. And then one day, he saw the one that he had been waiting for. He saw the salvation of the Lord in the form of a child, brought by his parents according to the law. After a lifetime of waiting, this moment was no less dramatic for him than the destruction of the Israelites for the, than the destruction of the Egyptians for the Israelites. And so Simeon praised God in song. He said, Lord, now your servants can depart in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for Israel. Glory, for glory to your people Israel. And now we, through Scripture... As if seeing through Simeon's eyes, we also are able to recognize our Savior. So congregation, in the midst of your fears, when obedience to God puts you in a difficult situation, perhaps at odds with your family, your employer, or even perhaps with the government, remember that God is our strength. We don't need to solve all our difficulties on our own. Sometimes we need only to wait patiently for direction from God as it comes to us through his word. And when faith in Christ sets you on a difficult path in life, when you suffer the rejection of family or friends or are weighed down by a burden or a responsibility that you have received from God, then wait patiently but expectantly. Trust that the one who has put you in that situation will also give you the strength and the courage to bear under it. As we read in Psalm 27, verse 14, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. And when you struggle with sin or a particular temptation, repent and trust in God, who is your strength. As we read in Isaiah 30, verse 15, In repentance and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and trust is our strength. We don't need to have an answer or a solution for every particular challenge or difficulty. But we do need to stand ready to receive direction from God. We need to seek the Lord in prayer and to be attentive to His Word. For the Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord as it says in Lamentations 3, verse 25. And as you wait, brothers and sisters, wait with your eyes open. Simeon knew that he would see the Lord's salvation for Israel, but undoubtedly he saw child after child being presented to God at the temple. Nevertheless, his eyes were open and he stood his post. He stood ready day after day in the temple. And under the direction of the Holy Spirit, he recognized the child Jesus as the promised Savior. Like Simeon, then, let us fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Trust Him and recognize 
what He has already accomplished for you on the cross. So in the midst of your trials and your afflictions, don't surrender, don't flee, and don't fight in your own strength, but wait for the Lord. Give the battle over to Him. Trust in God. The Lord fights for you. And the war, the battle, is already won. This is our third point. The Israelites will see, they will know a total victory. After Moses exhorts his people, he receives from God a series of instructions. Instructions which sound something like battle plans. Tell the Israelites to move forward. As for you, raise your staff and divide the water. As for me, I will drive the Egyptians into the sea. The pillar of cloud then moves between the two forces, effectively separating them and allowing the Israelites to pass to cross through the sea over the course of the night. But soon the Egyptians pursue them. And then sometime between 3 and 6 o'clock a.m., just before sunrise, in the morning watch, as it says, the Lord throws the Egyptians, the Egyptian forces into chaos. Even as the Israelites had made the same crossing, with all their women, their children, and their flocks, the Egyptians, with the best technology of the day, they were unable to make the crossing. As it says in verse 25, their courage failed, and they were unable to flee. And when the sun rose and the waters fell, they were all swept away, completely. Every horse, every chariot, every soldier, Pharaoh himself, not one of them remained. Exactly as Moses had prophesied. The Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. Every Egyptian was killed. And every Israelite was saved. Again, the fulfillment of this prophecy is given in verse 30 of our text, of our passage, where it says, And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. This was a complete victory over Egypt. The might of Egypt crushed. The best horses, all the chariots, the fighting men, all destroyed by God. Pharaoh's formidable force was as nothing to the Lord God, the one who fights for Israel. The might of man is powerless before God. And this, brothers and sisters, this was a devastating defeat for Egypt. Suddenly, Egypt was left without its army. It was left without its king. And because of the last plague, it was left without an heir. With one devastating blow, the world's superpower was significantly weakened, just at a time when Israel would begin to conquer the land of Canaan, a land which Egypt exerted much influence over. And news of this victory would go before them as they entered into the land of Canaan. If you take a quick look at chapter 15, the Song of the Sea, in chapter 15, verse 14 and 16, you'll see a list of nations. There it says, The people have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now the chiefs of Edom are displayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them all. The news of this victory over Egypt, the most powerful nation on earth, would be heard 
and would spread across the known world. This was the first battle of the new nation of Israel, and it was won for them by the Lord. God gave them the victory. And through this incredible deliverance, the people are profoundly changed. Their hearts are changed. When the fear of death had overwhelmed them, they rejected God and Moses. But after they had witnessed this complete victory, now, as we read in verse 31, now they believed in God and in his servant Moses. Now they trusted God. Their relationship with the Lord had been reaffirmed. God had truly saved them. They had seen it with their own eyes. And so by passing through the Red Sea, they were sealed to God and his servant Moses in a new relationship of trust. They are reoriented to rest in his strength, in the strength and the love of their covenant God. God had turned an impossible situation into a total victory. Where they once feared Pharaoh, now they feared the Lord. And now they were finally free to serve him as he required. Through this miraculous event, God sealed his covenant promises to his people, Israel. So brothers and sisters, the battle is done. The victory won, and now a song of triumph is sung. Notice how in our text in verse 14, the people are instructed to be silent, to hold their peace. The Lord will fight for them. They had to stand firm in faith, to wait and to watch, to witness the work of God, and also to be silent. But now, after the complete victory of God, their silence gives way to a song of triumph. Immediately following this account in chapter 14, In 15 verse 1, we read of the whole nation of Israel breaking out in song before God. They sang a song of praise. Brothers and sisters, at the Red Sea, the Israelites received total victory. They were finally free of Egypt. In the same way, the victory that we have in Christ is a total victory. It is complete in every way. Because of the perfect work of Christ... God has given us forgiveness of sins. He has given us everlasting righteousness and eternal life with Him. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 47, which we read earlier, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This victory is a total victory. It gives us everything we need for the present And it assures us for the future. Satan has been defeated. The world has been overcome. And our sin has been nailed to the cross. So now even our earthly afflictions seem like nothing compared to the glory that is to come. The glory of living with God forever. Because this victory extends even over the power of death. Death itself is swallowed up in victory. Brothers and sisters, what an incredible comfort this provides, that this victory won for us by Christ is so complete that it includes also the resurrection of our bodies. So that as we wait for the Lord, we know that we will one day see him with our own eyes. So let us wait patiently. 
but with eager expectation, not looking back to a life of slavery to sin, but looking forward to that day when our Lord and Savior will return. God is your salvation. Trust in Him. And you will not be afraid. For the Lord your God is your strength and your song. Amen. And we will respond in song. We will stand and sing Psalm 33. The verses 1, 3, and 6. Thank you.